Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Mr. James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire. Jay, thank you so much for holding it down last week. I know, of course, you are more than capable of doing so. uh, But yeah, things have been hectic at work, but I am happy to be back here with you and, and talk a little Jaguar football. Yeah, no problem at all, man. Uh, you know, sometimes like when I get ramble by myself, it, it gets a little fun uh, sitting here here talking to myself and whatnot. So, yeah, that wasn't a problem at all, man. And, um, you know, I guess the next solo episode is going to fall on you. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, glad to be back, man. Glad to be talking some football after this uh, crazy uh, weekend that happened and occurred, especially for uh, Floridians, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, we'll, we'll actually get to talk on that a little bit. And we'll also talk on some Jags as usual. Uh, might not be as Jags heavy of an episode as we normally do, but nonetheless, we'll talk some Jags. Uh, we'll talk some NFL in general. And uh, I can't wait to get this thing going. Yeah, I remember when we were talking about you taking care of an episode last week. You're like, yeah, I'll just make it like 15, 20 minutes. And then it was like half an hour because you had so much to say about everything that is going on. But no, that's definitely not a bad thing because uh, as you guys know that have been listening to us for a while, uh, Jay has plenty to say when it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, as well as just football in general. So, uh, but n- nonetheless, really excited to be back and and talk about a little. As you said, Jay, you know, not as many Jaguar topics here because we are going to touch on the Super Bowl. We want to discuss what happened this past Sunday. So we're recording this here on a Thursday morning. We got our coffee and we are ready to go. Uh, before we get started, I do want to remind you guys, if you're enjoying the show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts. It's that purple icon over on your phone. Uh, let us know that you're enjoying the show. Leave a five-star review and also subscribe. We're also available on other podcast directories such as Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Of course, you can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. Jay is over at sportsgrind underscore Don. And then you can tweet the show at Believe in Jags Pod. And as always, Jay, before we get started, we have to give a special shout out to this week's sponsor, which is Ben Online. Now, guys, football may be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is betonline.ag. And Jay, I don't know if you know this. I mean, not only can, of course, can you uh, bet on all of those leagues that I just mentioned, uh, but you can also bet on other things. Right now, uh, I don't know if you, uh, well, I'm sure you know this, uh, Jay, you know, they have that uh, that hot dog eating contest every 4th of July. Right now, you can actually bet uh, the over or under on how many total hot dogs Joey Chestnut will eat. 74 and a half is the line. I know that guy goes absolutely nuts every single year. That's one of the reasons I love bet online, man. There's so many different things on here. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. They also have hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, the 24-hour online casino. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, JC. Well, yeah, we are going to discuss the Super Bowl here in just a moment. But I want to touch on something that you very briefly mentioned last week, and that is a, a DM that we received from a listener over in the UK, uh, Scotland, actually Glasgow, Scotland, specifically, uh, Mr. Mike, who you who you shouted out. And he reached out to us because he felt like we were, and not intentionally, but maybe unintentionally kind of alienating some of our fans that are global because we sometimes fail to recognize that the Jaguars are an international product and Mike brought to light a lot of the things that the Jaguars are doing over in the UK because they've been out there of course since what 2013 now so they are very well established now of course with COVID they weren't able to go out there this year this was supposed to be the first year where they got two games which 
uh, oddly enough, Jay, about a year ago, kicked off our, our podcast here at Believe. That's one of the first things we actually ever talked about was the team uh, deciding to play two games over uh, overseas, which, of course, very much upset the fan base here. And um, but Mike, uh, but he reached out to us and, and pointed out some things, like I said, that the Jaguars are doing over there. I do want to um, I do want to uh, highlight some of the things that he point out, pointed out uh, the Jaguars give out two gridiron grants each year in the UK, paying for college and un- university tuition to two athletes who would not have been able to afford it. Otherwise, um, they have the UK wide Jag tag program, which trains over 76,000 kids to play tag football in over 300 schools, uh, which leads to 20 satellite clubs starting up in 24 major cities and towns. Uh, Mike is a primary school teacher over there, which of course over here would be an elementary school teacher. He's been on the Jags training and started his own tag football club with kids in his school uh, aged eight to 12, which is really, really cool. They also provide over 3000 tickets for young children playing tag football to come and see the Jags play, of course, free of charge. Um, A lot of really, really great things that Mike pointed out that the team is doing over in the UK, which, you know, we sometimes, like I said, we, we fail to really recognize because we're so focused on what's going on here. And I reached back out to Mike and let him know, we really appreciate the feedback. And this is the exact type of stuff that we are looking for from our listener base, right? Jay, we want to know that you're listening and this me and he put a put together a very long list of things, which means that he cares not only about the team, but also about the content that we're delivering here each and every single week. So Jay, I know you touched on it here a little bit last week, um, but I also wanted to take a, take the opportunity for us to both, uh, you know, shout out Mike and, and thank him for, you know, bringing a lot of that stuff to the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when we used to run the uh, Jags Den podcast, we used to refer to ourselves as the international Jaguars at times, you know, like me, you and Jacob. And, uh, you know, like it's, that, that kind of got lost over the course of the last two years because of, you know, how Shad Khan has kind of operated with the UK and so on and so forth. And come to find out he's doing some uh, some pretty good things over there for the, fo- the football community and to, uh, you know, help them with, with the, um, you know, just kind of with football knowledge and, and what have you in terms of all of the things that uh, Mike discussed there. But yeah, in, in terms of like me, you said this in the past, I believe, and it might've been on a podcast or it might've been just in a regular conversation, but you know, a lot of the stuff that we talk about politically and all of that, that's tied into Jacksonville, you know, me and you have been on record for saying we would much rather talk football, you know what I'm saying? And the actual stuff on the field, but the fact of the matter is that we've been drawn into the political world. We've been drawn into the Jacksonville side of things and all of that, uh, because that's just how shot kind is made it, you know, like it, it is what it is, you know? So um, in, in terms of that, you know, uh, we definitely will, will do a better job of trying to reach out to that international fan base. As I said, you know, we got Robson who, uh, you know, that's a guy that we've uh, met through Shant Club. I'm sure he listens to the podcast occasionally. We had Pete on to talk Steelers, you yep. know, so which is which was awesome. Yep. So yeah, now that I think of it, we kind of have, you know, some guys over there that's established that, you know, that that listen in. But um, yeah, in terms of the other listeners over there, we'll definitely uh, try and do a better job of just reaching that, I guess you could say that international uh fan base as well, because um, you know, they are part of the Jaguars family and you know they don't deserve to be uh alienated either because you know not only are they a part of the Jags family as well, but they're part of our listener base as well, which you know that's something that we value very, very much. Yeah, and again, so just we really appreciate Mike and also want to let any other listeners know that Jay and I see all of these comments, you know, and when it comes to constructive criticism, we always are open to that. We want to make sure that the show is the absolute best it can possibly be. Now, if you reach out to us and say you suck, well, we're probably not going to reply to that. If you tell us why, tell us why we suck in a constructive way, and we'll make sure to try and implement that feedback the best way possible. But just wanted to talk about that again really quick, uh, because we really appreciate that uh, Mike took the time to send us all of that information and some information that we may have totally missed otherwise. So that's definitely 
one of the reasons I appreciate it so much. But Jay, let's talk a little football. Now, of course, the season is over. Uh, we we don't get a whole lot of opportunities to talk about uh, you know football outside of the Jags. And, uh, you know, we just wanted to really quick touch on the Super Bowl, which, of course, was just an absolute rout uh, by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 31 to 9 over the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes was running around all day. Uh, He did not look like himself. Of course, his offensive line was beaten up. Um, But Tom Brady, uh, maybe, you know, the the argument can (laughs) sometimes be made that maybe they were taking advantage of some questionable play or some questionable penalties I should say but at the end of the day I mean the the front line between uh, the offensive side and the defensive side for Tampa absolutely dominated this game so we're not going to talk about it too much Jay because you know throughout the week it's already been discussed but we did want to take a moment to just talk about what we saw and what do you think man I mean the Bucks just laid into the Chiefs uh, going into this game yeah that score was surprising man um but at the same time like and me, me and my uh, my cousin had this conversation. Uh, maybe it was just, and I, I'm not, and I'm definitely not saying this to make an excuse for the Chiefs. Well, I mean, neither one of them are my team, so it don't matter. Uh, but you know, maybe because it felt like something was lacking. Uh, you know, maybe the situation with the Chiefs and um, you know, Britt, uh, I think it's Britt Reed. That's Andy Reed's son. You know, maybe that's, that that yeah. situation played into it. And what was going on off the field is, you know, it's two uh, children that was involved as in very bad condition prayer to them, uh, by the way. So, you know, like maybe that played into it, especially for uh, the head coach, because that is his son, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, so, you know, from a head coaching role, like you can't feel like Andy Reid was completely there in terms of his mindset and being set on football. But um, I guess that's, you know, that's that's another story for another time. But in terms of just like actually what happened and on the field, man, like it just looked like it's this didn't surprise me either, because we've seen Todd Bowles show up in this this playoff run. And you've even mentioned him on Twitter. You know, you tweeted about him. But uh, Todd Bowles has actually had like one of the best postseasons ever. If you're talking about assistants or, you know, coaches or defensive coordinators like he probably would be the MVP of the playoffs if you're doing it from a perspective of uh, non-head coaches and you're looking at staff. So uh, shout-outs to him and what he did, especially, you know, in a time where, you know, me, again, me and Phil talk about this a lot, uh, in a time where African-Americans aren't getting a lot of head coaching opportunities, and he goes up there and shows people the blueprint, essentially. Now, the, the part of this is that ta- Tampa has a lot of talent on their defense, too, but he shows people the blueprint of how to beat this Chiefs offense that nobody could figure out, essentially. I mean, what they lost, what, one or two games in the regular season. So, you know, there's that. And we'll we'll take that information. And you know Urban Meyer was one of them watching that game. We're going to take that information as journalists. Coaches are going to take that information as coaches and run with it heading forward in terms of how to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. So I think that was the biggest takeaway from this. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be happier for, for him in terms of, you know, him – losing his job with, I think it was the Jets before uh, the Bucks, And, you know, I couldn't be happier from, from a standpoint of history, uh, Florida history being made there as well. You know, uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks, the first team to, to host their own Super Bowl and win it. Um, history in terms of the staff, you know, the first staff, if I can recall, with a black offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and special teams coach. Uh, so there's that. And also they have, by the way, uh, something that people are missing here. They have two women assistant coaches on that staff as well. So that, that's uh, that's dope in itself. And I mean, from the standpoint of just being happy for Bruce Arians, man, because, you know, we've talked about Bruce Arians on this podcast and how much I really like him and all the documentaries I've seen on him. Uh, you talked about him a little bit as well, but this is well-deserved for him. And I'm fi- I'm happy that he's finally found that place in football where it is, is more like now he's on, he's on that level now where it's like, look, oh yeah, I'll come back. We'll run it back again. Whereas he was in a place before where you were questioning if BA was going to come back to football. Now it's like, Hey, I'm coming back for fun. I'm having fun with this. I'm enjoying this. And uh, you know, we reached that level of achievements in terms of football and as, as a coach, then, you know, you, you've made it. You made it to the mountaintop, and that's where he is right now. You, you can't be happier for him. 
Yeah, 100%. I'm glad you brought up just the immense amount of diversity that the team has in the coaching staff. We also, of course, want to recognize and shout out, um, of course, former Jaguar quarterback Byron Lefwich, the uh, offensive coordinator over there. Congrats to him. And um, yeah, just really, really great to see. And, and, you know, we're not necessarily Bucks fans, but we're also not Bucks haters. So it was it was nice to see a, a team go in there and, you know, put the clamps down on what a lot of people are, are kind of, uh, I, I think there's a little bit of Kansas city chiefs and Patrick Mahomes specifically fatigue, right? People are tired of seeing all the incredible things he can do. I think it's, it's very similar to Steph Curry. Uh, I was, I was saying this the other day, uh, JT or to your nephew, I was talking to him about Steph Curry. Like we're getting all these notifications. Like, can you believe the, wild shot that Steph Curry hit like yes yes because that's what he's been doing his whole life we don't need a notification about it every single time so people are like can you believe this throw that Patrick Mahomes made yes we can because he's a really really great player and maybe one of the best to ever do it as far as his physical attributes so I think people were kind of fatigued when it comes to Patrick Mahomes and I don't know about you Jay you know of course we've spent all these years disliking the Patriots and I'll never like that organization uh, I have a lot of respect for what they've done but you know as far as their past it's, it's definitely really checkered but as far as Tom Brady goes you know we'll put all the personal stuff aside uh, you know political stuff aside but I I found Tom Brady a little bit more likable and easier to root for as a Buccaneer am I alone in that or or was that was that did it feel a little different well first I'll say this for um in terms of um, Mahomes and what you were saying on Mahomes. Yeah, you're right. Like, we've been seeing Patrick Mahomes do the stuff he's done for a while. But even before he started doing no-look passes, this is the thing, man. Like, Patrick Mahomes has been a popular figure before even that point. He was a figure, like, for crying out loud, people were telling, you know, people were saying Patrick Mahomes should start in his first year before he even became a true starter. And I think it was Alex Smith that was there, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, like when you go back even deeper than before he'd been doing all of these no-look passes and starting, you know, Patrick Mahomes' uh, fatigue dates back to like basically when he was first drafted to that organization. Uh, now, in terms of uh, Tom Brady, yeah, dude, it was so fun to see, like, to me, what we're seeing out of Tom Brady lately as of these last few days is a Florida version of Tom Brady. He like he's embodying Florida yeah. <laughs> now, which I mean, you could say, you know, the people have their thoughts and, and, and whatnot about, you know, being safe with the COVID protocols and whatnot, which me and you, you know, we, we tweeted or we text about that too. It's like, I don't know if that's like the safest setting, but at the same time they did it on the water. So like they didn't involve the, the rest of the public, if you will, in terms of putting their health at risk. It was more so like a thing within the team or whatever the case may be. But yeah, man, like we're seeing a like a Florida side of Tom Brady. We're finally seeing Tom Brady like let loose and be a human for a change outside of football. Not robotic. Yeah. We we so used to seeing him in New England uh being, you know, like this this uh this top tier like figure. And like, you know, we, we see Tom Brady stumbling out of, uh, you know, the party or whatever the case may be and somebody carrying, <laughs> carrying, tweeting, about, carrying tweeting about tequila and stuff like that. Like, man, yeah. come on. You see him tossing. He's throwing the, the trophy. <laughs> yeah, this is the craziest part. But me crossing, uh, tossing the Lombardi trophy across the ocean or the river, whatever you want to call it, a Tampa Bay tossing it roughly it looked like I was trying to estimate in my head like how many yards that was uh just looking at the distance roughly eight yards dude like tossing the Lombardi trophy roughly eight yards across and and dude the funny thing about it like is if you look at it because they got like five different angles of this thing you look at it from the angle of Gronk's boat like people are on the boat screaming no 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 actually toss it and he did it anyway then you see the angle from his boat, which was like a $2 million boat. Like, that was nuts in itself. Uh, but, you know, it's just fun to see. Uh, just And, and you kind of get you kind of happy for the city of Tampa as well. You know, it's just fun to see that unfold and the happiness that comes as a result of something that's as simple as a game where you throw a, a football around on a field. Uh, because, you know, this, this year has been troubling or the year, well, 2020, should I say, it's been troubling, it's been trying. Uh, we were tested as a human race 
And, you know, like to see them get to unwind in that way afterward, you know, that kind of, you know, gives the people of America relief as well and something to smile about in the end as well. You know what I really want to see is, you know, when they break down like how far a ball traveled and the speed. I want to see someone break it down with the analytics on the the angle of the toss <laughs> of that Brady. And you know, it's funny because Brady and Gronk, like they've been there before, right? You know, they they have multiple Super Bowls, especially of course Tom. But I can just imagine like all the other teammates being, yo, we only <laughs> we only have one of these. I know you have extra ones at home, but please don't lose the Lombardi trophy at the bottom of this river. <laughs> at the bottom Bro, of this I'm willing river. to bet though, <laughs> if it hadn't made it. And the crazy thing about it is when he tossed it, like three or four people caught it. Like, so they, they weren't trying to let that thing fall in the ocean, but I'm willing to bet had that right. thing <laughs> fell in the water, like people were going to be jumping off their boats, like diving under the, <laughs> under the ocean, trying to go get that. Yeah. I was thinking about the scuba team that would be in charge of recovering the Lombardi trophy from the bottom. Yes, of the, you got to pay those bank. guys extra for, for recovering it. If that is indeed the real Lombardi, heck, we don't know. It might be a replica. You know, part of me wonders, I don't know, like I've never thought of this as much football as I've, I've studied. How many Lombardi trophies do they give a team? Is it more than one? You know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, I'm do sure. you have a replica for the, the front office uh, to keep in the actual headquarters of the building? And do you have one that like the team can, I, I know I, I have read this before. Uh, most teams, what they do when they win the trophy is they share it. Like they have a timeline calendar, like one day this guy gets to take it home the next day, this guy gets and so on and so forth. So I know some yeah. teams do that, but I wonder like, is there like a replica one that you could take out in the public? And is it like the real deal, Holy field type one that you keep, in terms of uh, you keeping in the in the team's facility, but I, I don't know. I would have to research that. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong to anybody who's listening. I believe at AT and T Stadium, the Cowboys have their trophies on display for the public. But that's no, there's no way those are the real trophies, right? I feel like they wouldn't just put those out there for exactly. people to see. You know, so that's a good question. It just kind of reminds me of when he tossed it. Remember, I can't remember what team it was that that dropped the remember the old uh bcs championship crystal ball remembers a team dropped it and it shattered what <laughs> i can't remember what team that was but that was pretty recently and i i remember hearing about that but yeah you just like you said it it, it was fun to see brady and, and of course gronk is always entertaining and you know that's why I think, you know, you and I both as wrestling fans, we were excited to see him in, in WWE. It sounds like he's getting ready to come back again and, and maybe run it back with Tampa. Of course, there's a lot to to do over there or a lot to um, look into. They got a lot of free agents. And of course, uh, you know, after a team wins the Super Bowl, you usually see a mass exodus. But it doesn't seem like it's going to be that way with, with this team. We'll, we'll definitely see. Shout out to the Cannon Fire podcast, who are the uh, the Bucks Believe show. So really happy for them. What were you going to say, Jay? Yeah, I want to say one thing. Yeah, that situation is key to watch in terms of the free agents, because as you said, a lot of those guys seem like they want to come back. And we all know, like with the salary cap, me and you are big believers that, well, first and foremost, the salary cap is fake and moldable for one. Uh, but still, like even when you have that much talent, like it's going to take some uh, a boatload of maneuvering to make this work. And again, I believe like you that they can make it work because they want to stay there. And what you're probably going to end up seeing is people buying into Bruce Arians and the system and what they have there and the winning culture or the winning culture from this year, at least. You're going to see people buying into that to the point where they're taking deals uh, that, you know, that isn't of the market value that we project them to take. Like, it'll be less than what we expect. Um, so, but the what I wanted to say about that is, you know, that's 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 a situation to watch because... That is kind of, in a way, how you want Urban Meyer to build the Jaguars is why I'm going to tie this to the Jaguars. Because when you have a system and you have a situation and you have a culture and you have a atmosphere that people love and they're willing to come back and take pay cuts and all of that, this, that, and the other, then you truly made it as an organization. And, you know, for everybody that's praising Urban Meyer and what they want him to be in terms of organization and structure and the culture, that's probably along the lines of what you want because there is going to come a time where, you know, right now the Jaguars aren't, aren't going to be hurting for money because they don't have, they have like two people making over $10 million. 
But there is going to come a time if Urban Meyer wins like he's supposed to win. They go to the Super Bowl. It's going to come a time where, you know, you're not just sitting on 70 million or 80 million dollars in salary capping. You know, it's it boils down to like what kind of a culture you have as to whether, you know, players want to stay there or not. 100%. And, you know, that's going to be a good transition here in just a moment to uh, to some free agent possibilities. But of course, you know, we made it this far, Jay. We also want to shout out uh, our guy, Lenny <laughs> Leonard Fournette, who was a big part of this Tampa Bay Buccaneers win. And, and remember, you know, and he's gone out of his way to remind people on Twitter as well. So he used it as his motivation. And you know what? More power to him. Whatever you need to do in order to motivate yourself, um, you know, as long as it's not hurting other people, then go for it. You know, so, you know, there were some stretches where it didn't seem like he was necessarily fitting in to the culture or the game plan that was going on over there in Tampa. And, you know, Jay, we, we I, I got to believe and we, we've already talked about this off the air. You know, got to believe that a lot of that had to do with with guys like, of course, Tom Brady, uh, B.A., uh, Byron Leftwich, you know, all those very strong, uh, you know, strong willed and, and uh, individuals that are on that team that probably kept him going and buying and continuing to buy in to the overall team vision of, uh, of the Buccaneers that maybe he wasn't necessarily able to see. Uh, when he was here in Jacksonville, because it wasn't really necessarily available. You know, we didn't really have that kind of leadership per, per se uh, that, especially in the front office. So, you know, congratulations to him, but I definitely got to think a lot of that had to do with Brady. That's exactly, you know, I'm glad you touched on that because me and you actually, we shot a text to each other. And I have spoke about this with many uh, of the homies and, you know, many people that's close to me. And yeah, the fact of the matter is that Leonard Fournette that, and this is not a knock on Leonard Fournette because he's talented. The Leonard Fournette that we saw in the playoffs and the Leonard Fournette we saw at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wasn't the Leonard Fournette that we were going to get in Jacksonville. That wasn't happening because, like you uh, like you said, because of the influential figures there that they have uh, that, that can get the best out of his talent. Because, look, that Tom Brady, if you have the talent, Tom Brady's going to draw it out of you, point blank, period. Now, it's a different thing if you don't have the talent. You know what I'm saying? He's not a miracle worker. He can't get you to be... Uh, he can't turn you into Barry Sanders if you, you're you not talented. You know, it's, it is what it is at that point. And the same applies for Bruce Arians. If you have the talent, he's going to get it out of you. And the Jacksonville Jaguars, aside from 2017, didn't have anybody as influential as a first ballot Hall of Famer in, in Tom Brady, point blank, period. It's just something about when you line up in the huddle next to Tom Brady, uh, dude, you're going to give your all. I've, I've heard Cameron Brait say it like Cameron Brait didn't sleep the night before Tom Brady came to Tampa Bay because he was nervous that when they went to some, they went to a high school to throw some passes. He was so nervous that he was going to drop passes from Tom Brady. That's how influential, <laughs> that's how influential Tom Brady is as a figure. You And you've seen this. I've heard the stories about uh, people say similar things about Peyton Manning, where they didn't want to drop passes for him because, you know, he had such high expectations and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, like if for those trying to like just make it about the Jaguars and this, that and the other. Look, I look at it as this way. Both sides won. Leonard Fournette went to a team that's going to get the talent and draw the talent out of him and and, and make sure uh, he plays to the best of his ability. And the Jaguars won in the sense that really, I mean, they got a young man in James Robinson who uh, basically got overlooked in the draft who shouldn't have been overlooked in the draft, who was overlooked because of his 40 time or whatever the case may be, who shined and put up great numbers and, and you know, really put up anything better than we had saw out of Leonard Fournette. So it technically wasn't the wrong decision. And, I mean, it didn't, it didn't necessarily translate the wins, but at the same time, as we saw, keeping Leonard Fournette didn't translate the wins either. So, you know, at that point, you know, you're better off probably letting them go. Um, and, you know, look at it this way. You don't give Leonard Fournette. I mean, if you keep Leonard Fournette on this team, chances are you might win an extra game that you shouldn't have won or two or whatever the case may be. We're not in this situation to get Trevor Lawrence. And you could say the same about Calais Campbell and Jalen Ramsey, albeit, you know, a lot of us will argue that they still should be here. A lot of those guys, if they're here, A.J. Boye as well, we don't get this opportunity to get Trevor Lawrence. So here we are. Let's make the most of it. Let's stop looking in the past. Let's be happy for Leonard Fournette, who balled out and played well, and uh, let that be that. 100%, Jay. You know, 
that I think a lot of us have the tendency to do that. And, and I, and we are included as well as when we look at, you know, the Jags and, and when you see players have success elsewhere, of course, you know, you have Jalen who's, who's had success with the Rams. You, you see Calais and the Ravens now, of course, uh, and then now Lenny, of course, getting, uh, getting the Super Bowl there in Tampa, but you know, the biggest difference there is, you know, none of those teams are rebuilding. N- none of those teams are in the same position that we are. So, uh, yeah, like you said, Jay, you just let's, it's time to look forward for sure. Uh, as painful as it is. And, 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 you know, when, when secret base is putting out videos about the 2017 Jags and, and what's happened, it's hard to forget about that stuff. Cause it's still so very fresh in our mind, you know, and all these guys are, are gone now from that team, you know, there's really nobody left. So uh, it is time to definitely focus on the future and, and everything that has happened over the last few years has led us to this point. And, you know, we want to talk about some, some possible, additions that may be coming to Jacksonville. Now, uh, Jay, of course, as we already alluded to, the Jaguars are going to have a lot of cap space to play around with. They also have a plethora of of draft picks and draft capital, and uh, which is why uh, the discussion came up yesterday. After a a tweet from Ian Rappaport, uh, according to his sources, Ravens offensive tackle Orlando Brown wants to be traded. After tweeting his desire to only play left tackle, he filled in there for Roddy Stanley and shine this season. Brown will only play for a team that will play him at his preferred spot. Baltimore will need a major haul. Now, Jay, you know, this sparked a lot of conversation within Jaguar Twitter. Of course, you know, we're entering um, this free agency period with Cam Robinson's future on the team up in the air. And a lot of people are thinking that it's going to take a Laramie Tunsil type of deal to pry Orlando Brown away from the Baltimore Ravens. If you guys need a little bit of a refresher, uh, here's what the Dolphins got for Laramie Tunsil. They acquired a 2020 first round pick, a 2021 first round pick, a 2021 second round pick, as well as a couple of players. Now, Jay, you had some strong opinions about this as far as what it would take to pry Orlando Brown away from the Ravens. So, what is the deal that you would offer them? And would you offer them some kind of a similar haul to what the Texans gave uh, to the Dolphins for Laramie Tunsil? Yeah, well, my, my, you know, and I, I did say this on Twitter, just like initially when it first happened in at the top of my head, like if you just going by at the heat of the moment type of thing, I said two, two second round picks is what I would do. I would, I would feel more than fine with doing that. But after sleeping on it, like I, I'm open to doing a late one, uh, the, um, but I think what the issue here's where my reservations come in at with with the Orlando Brown trade. If you're going to give him a first is he's only and I, it didn't hit me until like I slept on it. What it is with me is why I'm, I'm a little uh, reluctant on it is he only took 700 snaps just from what we saw for PFF at left tackle. And that's that was last year when Ronnie Stanley got hurt. And then furthermore. What also concerns me is people forget the Ravens had the easiest schedule in football last year. So it's not like he had this extremely tough schedule to put up the numbers he did on PFF in terms of how he fared as a left tackle. In other words, what I'm saying is the competition wasn't the strongest uh, that he faced. And I did the um, I did the research. I think, uh, yeah, the Ravens were dead last in terms of the, the scheduling, in terms of strength of scheduling. Uh, their opponents were 112 wins, I think. Yeah, 112 wins and 144 losses. So that was under 500. Uh, 0.438 is where that fell. So they were the, in terms of, I think it was them and maybe the Steelers or another team in their division, they had the weakest schedule uh, without a shadow of a doubt. So that is where I kind of have my reservations about doing it. Uh, but again, if you're going to look at the 700 snaps that he took at left tackle last year in the place of Ronnie Stanley, he was just fine. He also offers versatility, right? Because we obviously he's been playing right tackle more than he's been playing left tackle according to the numbers. Uh, so he he's versatile, but he wants to play left tackle because of his father, uh, who also played for the Ravens, by the way, his late father. And that, you know, that was just kind of like a promise or a type of deal that they went through when he was alive is that like, hey, you know, I want you to be better than me is how he put it. And I want you to play on the blind side in the process. I think his father was right tackle. So uh, that's why that, that kind of stems to, as to why he wants to play on the left side. And also, I mean, like, 
I think this also plays into it too. The money that you make playing left tackle as opposed to right tackle is significantly more. Simply put, it's a huge pay gap. It is. And like, you know, one thing I think people miss is the internal battles because they never surface in the NFL PA, never like lets it come to the light. But there are internal battles that they don't really go, that they don't really discuss or put to the light like that within the players. And sometimes you can see players, uh, you know, at a certain position get paid a certain amount and the players that pay that play that same position, but just on the opposite side in this same case uh, are looking at it like, man, that's like a huge pay gap just because you play on the blind side as opposed to me playing on the, the dominant side or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So Jay, really quick, just to interrupt you. It kind of reminds me of like, remember when Jimmy Graham wanted to be paid as a wide receiver and not a tight end. Remember when that happened? Exactly. Exactly. And this is one of those, you know, this, I think that plays into it is the money that he could get. And he said, yeah, sure. He has said it's not about the money. Yeah, sure. But at the end of the day, like, you know, mm, you want to maximize <laughs> while you're here, especially at his age, you want to maximize the money you're getting because at the end of the day, you're setting up your family for the long term. So, you know, you can say that, but it's that decision plays more into just you. You know, it plays into your family, your generations before you, so forth and so far, um, you know, beyond that. So I think, you know, that plays a little bit into it. Um, but that being said, I think if the Jaguars are in a situation, and I don't know, like, when they're going to make this uh, trade if you're the Ravens, but I think if the Jaguars are in a situation where they didn't get Cam Robinson or they didn't resign him or franchise tag him or whatever the case may be, um, and they – they come up short in free agency because Trent Williams and Villanueva found other places to go or they stayed with their respective teams. You know, if they're in that situation where the Jaguars would have to give up a one for Brown, I mean, if you give up the 25, the number 25 pick for Brown, I guess that's okay because he's probably better than any tackle you would get at 25 uh, if that was your initial plan. Now, that's if that was your plan to take a tackle at 25 anyway. Uh, but for me personally, that never has been kind of the thing for me. It's like, I don't, I didn't envision the Jaguar taking the tackle that high. So that kind of plays into me, not one Brown as well, if that makes sense. So I guess, you know, like you said, if, if, if think, things fall the way that they do or that you just laid out there, you know, we don't keep Cam Robinson or we don't tag him. You, you whiff on a Villanueva or a Trent Williams. So th then it sounds like maybe you are okay with the, that late round pick the one that number 25 and then another. So, and, and that would all, of course, if they're looking for a dolphins hall, that would mean a number one pick next year, which would be, I, I assume our own. Cause we don't have any more draft picks in the first round for next year, which, and next year's pick may also still be high. I don't think anybody's expecting this team to, you know, make this magical playoff run next year, even with Trevor Lawrence. So we're talking about a pick. We may be in a situation like the Texans, where if they had, you know, not traded for Laramie Tunsil, they'd be picking, what, third, fourth this season? And, you know, how big of a difference would that make, uh, you know, with their situation as far as Deshaun Watson goes? So we're talking about trading 25 this year and also a potential top 10 pick maybe next year. Yeah, possibly. I don't know. I don't think I don't think they're getting two first for Brown. I, I honestly don't see that happen. I mean, maybe you'll find a team desperate enough, but um, I think one first and a little something extra with it in terms of like other draft picks outside of the first might work. But, um, and, and see, the thing about it is like where with the tonsil deal, uh, you had to weed out all of the other stuff that came with it. Steels was in there. Other players were in there and this, that, like, if we're just talking about just straight up for Orlando Brown, you know, like two firsts, albeit he's very young and, you know, he's versatile. Um, that might be a little too much. And in that case, yeah, that's definitely a no. If you're the Jaguars, if, if that's the case and they want two ones, you, you probably got to say no to that, If, in my opinion. Now, I saw this kind of floating around on Twitter uh, from some of, uh, some of our, our colleagues, our, our journalism colleagues, Jay, talking about, and I'm not sure if you saw some of these tweets talking about possibly the uh, as far as Orlando Brown being, and you already touched on this a little bit too, as far as their strength of schedule wasn't that high, that maybe it may have been kind of a, a little bit of a scheme thing as far as why he was so effective in Baltimore. I don't know how much you've been able to watch uh, Orlando Brown or you know how much you've been able to assess 
of him. But do you think any of that is kind of coming into play where you have to think about, you know, maybe he's doing so well, you know, because uh, the scheme in Baltimore fits his abilities. And, and maybe that's not something that is going to be as prevalent here in Jacksonville. Uh, well, I mean, I think from a standpoint of what, where you have to consider how Brown could have been helped with positive grades um, is by Lamar Jackson. And, uh, you know, like, you know, people might look at it like Lamar Jackson did get sacked a lot. Of course, Lamar Jackson did get sacked a lot uh, because he's Lamar Jackson and he damn near is a wide receiver playing quarterback. You know what I'm saying? That's not to say like I'm along the lines with those people saying that he don't belong at playing quarterback. But what I'm saying is he has wide receiver like agility and wide receiver like speed. So I haven't yet yeah, gotten a chance to like watch him deeply. But yeah, like that is where I guess you could say um, Brown's stats could be skewed on that ends in terms of protection, uh, sacks allowed, pressures, this, that, and the other. Because, you know, Lamar Jackson simply doesn't allow a lot of people to get to him at times, you know, because he, he is who he is. I mean, we're talking about the formerly MVP here. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like that could pad his stats positively I guess if you look at it from that standpoint maybe that's what those people were getting at yeah I think it was John Shipley uh, I believe that had mentioned it from uh from SI right that's who that's that's who John Rice for correct yeah so I, I think he had responded to a tweet about uh, Orlando Brown um as far as uh where his ranking right now and th- this particular uh, this particular person who uh, who tweeted about it um, said that they did not even rank t- uh, Brown as a top 20 tackle in the league. Uh, John had replied, this is fair. There's some projection, projection due to scheme too as well. So I'll send that over to you. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of get your your thoughts on that. To kind of wrap it up here, Jay, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of a bridged episode here this week. So I'll just ask you straight up, when it comes to the guys that are on the table, as far as offensive linemen, because, you know, we of course want to make sure that Trevor Lawrence is protected. We don't want to end up in a position like the Bengals. And I, I'm sure our, 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 um, our colleagues over there at, at the Bengals show, I believe would agree with this. You know, we don't want to see a Joe Burrow situation. We want to make sure Trevor Lawrence is protected when it comes down to the, the guys that are available with a Trent Williams, you look at a Orlando Brown, Cam Robinson, or the draft. If you know, those four options are laid out in front of you, which, how would you rank them? One, two, three, four. Yeah, I would probably rank. I was thinking about this as you were talking about it earlier. I would probably rank. I would say Trent Williams is number one for me because Trent Williams allows you to keep your draft picks for one. And he's an elite left tackle. The only thing is like he misses like two or three games a year. But look, I mean, when you get somebody who's as dominant as he is when he is on the field, uh, you can't complain about having that on Trevor Lawrence's blind side, you know, and that kind of, for me, that kind of plays into what I want them to do anyway, in a sense that if you read a lot of the articles, what I've said is if you get Trent Williams, or even if you, uh, you sign Cam Robinson to the franchise tag, what you do is you go in the draft and you draft a left tackle, because for one, the draft is strong at left tackle. And for two, you want somebody to groom uh, it, at that position because Cam Robinson on a franchise tag would be a short-term option. And in the case of Trent Williams, you still would do it. You would still draft a left tackle because he's just up there in age. And it would help because, like I said, if he's missing two or three games a year, your rookie left tackle that you draft, hopefully you draft one high enough, uh, the, the rookie left tackle that you draft is going to see within the next you know, three years. And so he's going to be on the field at least two games a year just based off of Trent trent um williams's projection so like that kind of it kind of would fall in place with uh you know in in terms of everything like the puzzle fitting together if you will so trent would be my number one option i know it'll be pricey and i know like people are concerned about his age but i mean like left tackles are durable in a lot of cases look at andrew whitworth that was the example me and you were using like yeah he's not what he's he used to be of course not no he's not but he is more than fine on Jared Goff's blind side from what I can gather. Uh, so number two, and like I said, this is after sleeping on it. I might, yeah, I might consider Brown as the number two option if they can't uh, get Williams um, from the standpoint of if you got to give up just one, which is the 20, number 25 overall pick, I would take him over Robinson. And here's why, like, if you, 
if you looking at it from like the statistics from PFF standpoint, like, uh, you know, his blind side, and I'm talking about Trevor Lawrence would probably be better protected. Although, like you said, it might be some scheming that went into that. Uh, it might be better protected uh, by uh, Brown over uh, Cam Robinson. And not only that, though, even if you give up the one and like he doesn't really work out, Brown doesn't really work out. At least you got some guy that's very versatile. I know he said he don't want to play right tackle, but you got a very versatile option that helps you in case of injury, too, because as we've seen, the Jaguars offensive line has been injured often. So he would be number two. I would probably say Villa. No, I would say Robinson is my number three option on the franchise tag only. No long term deal. And then Villa, uh, Villa Nueva. Yeah, I definitely fall very similarly to that, uh, you know, just to kind of touch on what you said as far as uh, Williams missing a few games. He's only started all 16 games uh, twice in his career. Those came in consecutive seasons in Washington, 2012, 2013. Since then, uh, this is from 2014 to 2020, uh, 15 games started 14, 12, 10, 13, and 14. So, yeah, like you said, he, he is going to miss a couple of games. So it makes a lot of sense that, that you would either that you would most likely uh, you know, draft his replacement. He is 32, but like you said, offensive linemen uh, can age like fine wine. You know, they can just get better and better as they go on. And, you know, you, you at least uh, bring a guy in that could possibly mentor someone. Like you said, you know, this is a very uh, offensive line heavy draft as far as, uh, you know, projections go. Uh, so I think that would definitely be the, the way to go. And now when you, when you talk about Orlando Brown, I think it would, like we've already talked about, it would really just depend on the compensation. I'm not willing to give two ones for Orlando Brown, especially when that one uh, could possibly be very high next year. So maybe that number 25 pick, um, but you also have to compare that to some of the other players that might be available at number 25. You know, we've been doing, and, and we didn't, we didn't want to talk too much about draft stuff because over the next few months, you're going to be getting a heavy dose of that when it comes to not only mock drafts that we're doing over here, but also a lot of draft, um, a lot of draft uh, guests that, that we're going to be having on as well that we're very much looking forward to. So, you know, do you, do you value Trent Williams more than a guy that would be available at number 25? You got to think about that as well. So, you know, a lot of different things to, to look at here, Jay, but of course we wanted to talk about that because the Orlando Brown topic was so heavy on Jaguar Twitter's mind here in the last couple of days or here in the last day or so. And of course that will only, um, that will only go up even even higher and higher. But but Jay, that's pretty much all we wanted to talk about here for, for this week's episode. We, of course, wanted to get one in uh, together because we weren't able to do so last week. Uh, but is there anything else you wanted to touch on and, and also let everybody know what we have coming up here, not only on the podcast, but of course over on the Jaguars Wire? Nah, man, that was pretty much it. We, we touched on uh, what we said we would and what I had on my list here um, in terms of the Jaguars Wire. Uh, you know, we're heading towards free agency at this point. Uh, the coaching staff should be about wrapped up. Uh, by the way, they signed a running backs coach whose name is escaping me right now, but we'll have that up on the Jaguars wire uh, for you all to just basically analyze that and, and see uh, what the deal with that was. Um, so, yeah, that being said, like, it'll be just, um, you know, waiting for that coaching announcement in terms of, you know, the, the staff and whatnot. Uh, then it's just more so looking into free agency because uh, it's going to be a big period for the Jaguars. Um, we would expect them to be big spenders uh, because the simple fact that Urban Meyer doesn't like to lose and he's not going to sit here and wait over the course of, and when I say wait, what I mean is wait to win over the course of three years or whatever the case may be. He, he wants to win out of the gate. So if that's the case, if you went one in 15, last year that means you got to spend some money in free agency to get better to get to that level where you start winning immediately that means some money has to be spent and of course the draft has to go well but yeah so we'll look in the free agency we'll look at people around the league in terms of other teams uh, that the Jaguars could grab and um you know add into their roster and what have you and uh then you know after that you know it's, it's a matter again to the draft so it's going to be a crazy offseason no combine uh no this that and the other also We'll be talking about Trevor Lawrence. He throws tomorrow on the ACC network in front of all the NFL teams. Look forward to that as well on the Jaguars wire, which should be good. So that's um, pretty much all I got. You know, um, we'll have more guests, as you said, uh, to cover the draft, this, that, and the other, and also just uh, prospects in general in terms of like different colleges and whatnot. Absolutely, guys. A whole lot to look forward to. Uh, one last thing I did want to recognize I actually meant to bring it up at the top of the show here, Jay, is the passing of Marty Schottenheimer, who, of course, is the father 
of Jaguars assistant Brian Schottenheimer. He passed away at the age of 77. Uh, Marty had been dealing with Alzheimer's since 2014, and we've kind of been, you know, been keeping up with his saga over the last a few weeks or so, of course. So, uh, of course, we want to send our condolences out to the Schottenheimer family. Uh, Jay, the name Marty Schottenheimer has been around since I started watching football. You know, we had, uh, you know, he has uh, always been synonymous with uh, a successful head coach. I didn't even know that he was, uh, until you put this article up, eighth all-time in terms of wins in the NFL, 200, 126, and one. And, of course, he, he had stints with the Browns, Chiefs, the Washington football team and the chargers, which is where of course I remember him uh, the most. So yeah, we just wanted to send out our condolences to the Schottenheimer family and a name that is just synonymous with football. Absolutely. Uh, legendary coach. You know, I said that when we uh, got Schottenheimer, his son, Brian, um, that he was the son of a, a legend. I mean, I know, you know, people bring up the success in the postseason and all that, but um, you know, in terms of, you know, just he he did it so long, man, in terms of like Schottenheimer was coaching in the 80s as a head coach. You know what I'm saying? So like we talk about somebody who has done it like in terms of me and your lifespan for like two decades, pretty much. So uh, since we before we were born, actually, he was head coach uh, with the Browns if my memory serves me correctly. So, you know, that's that's crazy in itself. For, for you to be that good at your job, for you to continue to get head coaching gigs over two decades, uh, that speaks volumes. And, uh, yeah, like you say, we want to send our condolences to Brian and uh, his family. And, uh, yeah, we, we wish them the best in this uh, this hard time for them right now. 100% guys. Well, hey, just as another reminder before we get out of here, if you are enjoying the show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five star review, as well as any comments. That's one of the best ways you can support the show. We are also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary and tune in. You can keep up with us at believe.com and at believe podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Twitter as well. I am at Phil the Filipino F I L I P I N O. Jay is over at sports grind underscore Don, and you can tweet the show at believe in Jags pod. This has been the believe in the Jaguars podcast right here on the believe podcast network. Remember to believe in the Jaguars, but also believe in yourselves. We'll see you next time, guys. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube when your skin feels nourished and glows you radiate confidence osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean clinically proven mega moisture duo this seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.